righty. Well, go ahead and um, grab a seat. And I just wanted to um, <coughs> encourage you that if you are going to miss to, uh, this next lecture next week, uh, if you could try to make it to a live lecture, it would be very helpful for, t for you because I will be using the TV screens as I try to help you understand how to do a structure, how to find a structure within a text. And that will be um, a little more difficult just listening to it. Um, not that that won't help you, but um, so if you can make it either Tuesday night or Tuesday morning, if you're not going to make it here, um, please just seek to join us. And so let's get started. Last week we talked about staying on the line, and that principle stated that we stay on the line of Scripture, never going above it nor below it, that there is a line of Scripture, and that is the inspired Word of God. And we're not called to judge that line, but to listen to it, to follow it. <coughs> we seek to study Scriptures. We want to be mindful that Scripture is saying something to me, and I want to make sure I get that meaning. I want to be careful not to say more than what Scripture says, nor to say less than what Scripture says. So stay in on the line. Our second principle was the melodic line. And that principle stated that we will handle a particular text better if we understand what the whole book is about. And within each book of the Bible, there is that melodic line. It's that main thrust that goes throughout that book, and it helps us to understand what, what that book is about. And we want to have that in our mind when we go to study those individual texts. It will help us to gain a better understanding of the individual passages. Well, today we are going to go over two more principles. So you have an outline, and that should help you follow, to help follow along with what I'm saying. Our, our first principle, or number three, but first one for today, is called traveling instructions. And this principle is to help us travel through scriptures in an appropriate manner. And so the principle states that we must understand how the original audience understood a text in order to know how it applies today. So we must understand the context of our, of our text, that historical setting. What was how did the people hear it? What was, what was going on in their time period? And we also want to know the, the style of the author, his literary style. That can help us also unpack scriptures. And so we want to know how the original audience understood the text so that we can know how to apply it today. And so we have a couple of illustrations that we can um, go to that can help us unpack the, um, this concept, this principle. <coughs> and so, um, yes, you'll get to see all of this here later. Let me just clean this off. So here's my <coughs> attempt to draw, and I know that you'll all be able to get what this is. So what do you think that is? It doesn't look anything like what it is. <laughs> it's actually a telescope. And um, that, that, now you go, oh, of course, yes. So, so this is to help us. So this little eyepiece is our text that, that we're studying. And um, this part here is what we would call context. And what we want to do is see our text through the context. We want to see how does this help us understand that. And so the only way, way we can know how this can help us is to see it through here. And that's where we can then apply it for today. So that idea of a telescope is to remind us that when we come to a text in Scripture, we have a lot of pressure on us to be relevant, like speaking to a need. But we have to resist that temptation to just look at a text for relevancy until we've had time to see it in its context. We want to get to relevancy. We want to get to application, but we don't want to go there first. What we want to do is to go to see that text in its context. So perhaps this illustration will help you grasp this concept where we have a text that we are seeking to unpack. We, we want to know, what does that say? And our tendency is to just look for the application. But, and so we go straight from the text to, how does this apply to me? 
how does this meet my need? How does this speak to something that I'm going through? And, and in our haste for meaning, we don't even consider the context, those verses that surround this text. And, and so we got to remember in our, our love of knowing God's word, we, we do want to get here, but there's a road on how we get there. And it's always through the context. If we see this in the, all the verses that surround it, we will better understand what God means for it for us today. So again, the principle is that we have to know, how did the original audience understand this text? What were they experiencing, hearing when these words were coming to them? And we want to know, what were the dynamics around that situation? And, and so we want to know that history. We want to know that setting, that, that style of that particular offer. All of that is going to help us to get here. But we want to resist going straight from the text to application. We want to try to not let the pressure to be relevant to drive us straight to the application. And so in order to better understand the right application of the text, we have to see it through context. context. So let's, let's discuss a minute what that context is. And it's the parts of something <coughs> that is spoken, that literary style, um, that how he placed, the author put words around the text that you are reading. He has a certain structure, a style that, that it, it unfolds. And, and so we kind of look to see that. And then we also look to see the history, histor historical setting. You know, it's a time, there's a time period going on. There's people that... Um, are hearing things in relation to how they live life. And so we kind of want to see things through their eyes to help us grasp why Jesus would have said something or the principle that's being spoken. We can grasp that and put it under our belt. Well, there's different levels of, of a context. And it's pretty self-explanatory. You have, you have your verse, and that verse is, you know, could be within a sentence or it could be the sentence. And you find that sentence in a paragraph. In the paragraph, you find that in a chapter. And, and you find out that the chapter, of course, is in a book. And so all of this, we have to see through everything that is coming at it before and everything that's coming at it after it. That's the context. It's seeing the text in the surrounding verses, and you move out, expanding even to the whole book, and and we know that um, see if that one works better. That what you've been doing in Titus so far is you're getting a big picture. You've been reading that book, reading that book, and you're beginning to see a lot, and that's going to help you when you get down to just the text. But but we don't want to be so familiar with the book that we don't consider what's right before it and after it. So there, there are some strategies that when you are looking at a text that you want to get to the right meaning of it. And one of the things is when you come to a book, and let's say, so there's a text you just go to. Maybe you're not studying that book, but it's just a text you go to because it's a familiar thing. And, and, and you might have to, you have to ask yourself, what, what book is this sitting in? And, and the Bible has all kinds of categories, genres that, that point to... Um, like the Gospels are a narrative. That's its genre. That's its category. That's the type of a book it is. We are in an epistle. It's a letter. That's a type of book. It's a type of genre. And there's historical ones. There's poetry, poetic ones. And, and there's a discourse. So, so there's different books. And so you, you, you want to know, okay, this, this text is in a literary book that happens to be an epistle. So I've got to keep that in mind because that tells you there's going to be a certain kind of structure. Because an author that's writing a letter is usually making a point, and he's arguing that point. He's trying to help you to see what that point is. In a narrative, you're, you're, you're seeing this point come across through a discussion with characters, and there's a little plot going on. And, and so you, that helps you to, to know, how am I going to view this text? The, the other thing is, um, you know, there's that structure, 
So there's a certain way that the writer is writing it or presenting it. You, you'll look for that. Um, some of those are obvious, some not so much. Um, who are the characters? Who Who's being talked about? Who Who is involved in the discussion? What is being said to whom? So you look at the people that are surrounding or within that, that text. And, and you look again for repeated words and or repeated ideas and themes. What, what keeps getting repeated in relation to what you're studying? And, and so you look before it and you look after it to see if there's anything similar that points back to this. So those can be helpful ways to unpack a meaning of a particular text. And there are questions that you can come to the text to help you unpack that meaning. And, and Ron, I don't know if how many of y'all were able to go to his thing in um, August where he kind of, him and Ryan and Trent did a um, how to study the Bible. He, he gave an example which was so good that it just, it just means we, we have to repeat it. And it, it's helpful because when you meet somebody, you already have in your mind certain questions that you're going to ask. You don't have to have pull out a cup hard out of your pocket and think, oh, yeah, what's your name? You, you know, you just know what to say. You, you ask certain questions. And what you learn from those questions that you ask, you come up with another question because that observation that was revealed causes you to think, oh, you're a teacher. What do you teach? Because you would have never gone up to that person and said, what's your name? And what do you teach? You, you wouldn't do that because you... You didn't know at that moment that she was a teacher. But these early questions got you information that made you think, I want to know more. I want to know dot, 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 because she said she's a teacher. Now, as you meet this person, you don't know a whole lot about the person. You only know what you're getting at that moment. And you find out that she's a teacher. You find out, oh, she's only been teaching for a couple of years. I bet you she isn't very good. I bet you she isn't very uh, experienced. You're, maybe you're coming up with some assumptions based on these little facts that you're gaining. And so then you start to wonder, I wonder if that assumption is true. I wonder if this observation I'm kind of going towards is accurate. And so you ask another question that you find out, oh, she won the National Teacher's reward, uh, you know, reward Award for being the best teacher in her category. Well, now all of a sudden, you look back at your assumption, and you think, well, I can discard that. That, that's, that wasn't valid. That, and, and so you, you hold your observations loosely until you get to know this person more and more. Now, let's take that to Scripture. Scripture's the same way. There are certain questions that you're going to come to Scripture that, that will automatically just come to you like when you meet a person, like, who's writing this? Who is he writing to? Why is he saying what he's saying? And these questions are going to bring an observation up. You're gonna, it's going to get answered in the text. And that will make you probably think of more questions like that, well, why is this tone sound so hard? Or whatever, you're, you're going to have more questions that you're going to apply to the text based on what you're seeing. And you're going to be coming up with some ideas and thoughts and assumptions that your initial questions are pointing you towards. And so then you think, well, could this really be a true assumption? It sounds like, you know, he, he's angry with these people. So then I might say to myself, well, let's, let's test that. Let's test to see, is he really angry or is he concerned? Is he warning and, and because he loves them or is it because he hates them that it sounds angry? So we, we, we test our observations, our assumptions, our, our thinkings when we first get into Scripture to determine, does, is this an accurate um, view? And so in this principle, we want to test to see if our observations, our assumptions are, are, are accurate. And, and so the best way to do that is to read the um, verse in its context, all of those verses in it and around it. And we um, continue to look at what is going on. How does the writer write this? Well, let's, let's practice this principle 
of trying to get to the meaning of a text. And so I want you to have on your outline Mark 14, 3 through 9. And I'm going to read it. And as I read Mark 14, just 3 through 9, I want you to be thinking, what is the main point of this? What is this passage saying? So let me read. You think and follow along, and we'll talk about it. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a very good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of her in memory of me. Jot down on your outline what you think this point is, this, this text is getting at. What do you think the main point of the text is? I know that you don't have a lot of time, so you're just going to, perhaps just your initial um, impression, you're going to jot that down. Okay, now I'm going to expand to the verses that surround it. I'm going to use our context tool, and I'm going to expand out from this passage. And I'm looking to see, do these other verses help me get a better understanding of what the main point is of the text that we just read? So listen to the verses 1 and 2 that go before our text. Now, the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. Now let's go to the last two verses after our text, Mark 10 through 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And they were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. So what I want you to do is, is jot down, did these verses affirm what you thought the main point was or not affirm? Or did it cause you to change your thinking? So just... See if you've come up with something different or if it affirmed your initial observation. And then we're going to talk about what, what we discovered. Okay. I know I'm not giving you a lot of time, but we'll work together and, and come to an answer. So tell me, what did you initially think was the main point of the passage. Anybody? Okay, warning of his impending death. Okay, what else? Anything else? Okay, so act of worship is what she is demonstrating, you're saying? Okay. What else? What other things did you see that would this could be the main point, Karen? Okay, so we're, we're going to start this at, to indicate that it was really important, really valid. Joanna? Okay. Okay, so devotion. Devotion to Jesus. Any other possible main points? Okay, Jesus judges the heart. Okay. 
Is there anything else in that text that could make you think of a different point? Okay, anointing him for burial. Okay. So the other one was how money should be spent. Okay. Okay. Give all to Jesus. Okay. All right. Well, good. So now let's see from our other verses which one gets most validated. And so what did you see in the first two verses that was similar that you found in the the three through nine? And then what was similar in the 11, what was it, 11 through 12? 10 through 11, what was in that was similar. So we're looking for similarities in all three portions of the text. So first one, what what did you see in the first one that you kind of saw in the other passages? Okay, so seeking to kill, kill Jesus, okay. So we'll we'll, we'll kind of divide it like this, and then this is the, the, our pass, our text, and then this is the second so any, anything else in this that was similarly demonstrated here and here? The stealth, okay, so okay, so they don't want to cause a riot, okay, so that, that kind of an, uh, on in that kind of particular time period. All right, what about down here? Any, anything in those last two verses that was similarly talked about here and here? Loyalty, okay. What else? Okay, crucifixion is hinted at. And, ha- and what words did they, did they use to indicate that? Betrayal, okay. So we'll, we'll use the words that was um, in the text, betrayal. I don't know how to spell betrayal. Um, Karen? Judas was to get money, Okay. Which, which is interesting, because did you see money mentioned anywhere else? Okay, so there's a similarity that points back to that. So now we see that there's the thought behind Jesus getting killed. And we, hear some, we have some, some different things here. And we see betrayal, money, loyalty. Which of these observations, assumptions, thoughts, most characterizes what we've seen in this passage. Okay, a true and a false assessment of, of Jesus' um, worth, okay? Okay, so false, true... Um, assessment, assessment, I can't spell today, all right, of Jesus, all right, what else? So which one of these would that fall under? Okay, 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 so we can kind of bring these two together on that. Any other thing? Any other thing that we've noticed here and here to help us get to the main point of what this text is about? Kathy? Okay. Okay, so she's talking heart issues. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's go there a little bit. What, what do you think the heart issue is of the Pharisee and the scribes? What, what, is, their, what, is, their, what is their attitude? They hate him. They hate him to the point that they want to see him killed, okay? What is the heart attitude of the woman? She loves him, okay? What about the ones that criticized her? What is their heart? What's that? Hypocrisy, okay? It could be hypocrisy. It, it, It could also be, what else? Love of money, okay? So their love is is pointed towards the money. Okay, what did, what did you see here in attitude of Judas? 
love of money. And, And what about this? A lack of loyalty. So we, we do these little steps to help us narrow down what the main point of the passage is. And one of the best ways to do it, especially in a narrative where Jesus is actually speaking into the situation, you have these people that are grumbling over the use of this perfume. They, they see it as it's being wasted. So you think back in that historical time period, when do you think they would have used that kind of perfume? At the burial. It could be a dowry, a retirement. So there's, there's a lot that use it could, it could be, but it's also used in terms of the person when you're dead, and they used to put all these spices and, and stuff around the body, but he's not dead yet. And that money c- that could have been sold to give to the poor, so there's, there's a value in that. And, and so you can see these attitudes about, this is just really wasteful. But Jesus brings something to light, and we see that in, in verse 8, where he interprets what her deed is really all about. He gives us insight into what this really means. And he basically says, she's anointing me for my death. She's, she's valuing me. She's loving me. She's worshiping me. And the contrast that we're seeing from the other two verse is there is no valuing of Jesus. There is no love of Jesus. They don't see Jesus like this woman does. Judas is doing the same thing. He's seeing love of money as opposed to love of Jesus. So it helps us to narrow down to the point. Main point is Jesus isn't going to be with us all the time. He, he is going to be gone. And this is the opportunity to worship him and love him, to see him as the treasure that he is. And, and so we t- walk away with, from this text asking ourselves, do, do I worship Jesus this way? Do, do I value him as much as my material things? If this woman could see Jesus in this light, then I can see Jesus in this light, but I don't. So what does that say? God, help me. Help me to see Jesus as the treasure, as the preciousness that he is, the value that he is exclaiming and this woman is demonstrating. And, And so the takeaway is we land on Jesus being the the one that should ignite our heart to love him. But we needed these other passages to get a clearer picture of that. And and in Mark, Mark has a literary style. They call it the sandwich approach, where the bread are the verses before and after the good stuff in the middle. And that's how we have a sandwich approach. And so when you read Mark, you will see this kind of literary writing as he's trying to make a point here, but he uses these others to hone it in. So that's one of those examples. If you know the writer's style, it can help you unpack your text. And, and, and so how do I know all of that? Somebody else told me. And, and there's still things, styles of authors that I have no clue about, but but there's information out there. We can, we can go to people that know those kinds of things. I could talk to Ryan. I could talk to Ron. We, you know, I could read it in a book. And, and so as we become women who are wanting to dig deeper and deeper into God's word, we seek out that kind of information that can help us get better at understanding the main point of a text. And so, so that is hopefully to help you to see the value of seeing the verse in its context. So um, what we want to go to next is the um, next principle, which is um, text in frameworks. Now this principle states, we must let the Bible shape 
our frameworks rather than letting our frameworks shape our interpretation of the Bible. If we work rigorously with the biblical text, that text will prevail, and it will inform our understanding as to, po- as to oppose to let our frameworks dictate the understanding of the text. And so we kind of have two goal, a goal two that's twofold today. We want to raise, raise an awareness of frameworks. What is a framework? What, how does that influence me? And how do, does it influence me in how I handle a text? And then we want to know, how do, can we combat that tendency? How can we seek to put aside our framework so that it doesn't drive the text? So let's talk about um, what a framework is. And, but let me back up, because this is important, because when we talk about application that, that need to be relevant, we, we want so much to land here so quickly that our framework can push us there and, and keep us out of the context. And so that's important to know, what, what kind of frameworks do I have that would push me to the application and not slow me down to go through the context? So let's talk about what is a framework. And a framework is an idea, a frame of mind that we bring to the text. Now, a framework can come about through our own experiences, our training. It can be what we desire, what we value. It can be the cultural environment that we were raised. It could be those traditions that we lived through with our family. It could be family dynamics. It could be relationship dynamics. It's anything in which an individual person processes data. It is the stuff that we're made of. It is how we know who we are, and it is... It is the view which we, or the lens in which we view the world. And not one of us will come to the Bible in a neutral position. We're going to bring our stuff to it. We are going to bring our lens, our framework, and the question is, is it driving the text? Is it influencing how I look at the Bible? So here comes our next diagram little box and this represents our framework and then we have a little box which is our text and if we're not careful our frameworks will drive the text it will tell us how to view that text and we don't want to be an uninformed student of the Bible who will come to the text without checking that to the side without knowing what that's all about. So the idea is to recognize our frameworks so that I can put them aside, so that I can um, not let it influence the text. Because I want to know what did God say. I want to know why God said it. And, and, And if I'm not careful, all my junk can be applied to the text and I walk away furthering my agenda rather than seeing what God has for me to see. Here's, here's an example. It's a silly story, but it kind of drives the point home. It's it's picture of third grade Sunday school class, second grade Sunday school class, and the teacher begins to degri- describe something. She says it's brown, it's furry, it has a bushy tail, and one of the students raises his hand and says, it sounds a lot like a squirrel, but it's Jesus. And, and so, so what, what is his framework? His, his framework is that when you go to Sunday school, every answer is it's, it's Jesus. <laughs> and, and so he, he's ignoring what's coming at him, what the facts are in this, in this statement, and, and, and he doesn't want to say what it really could be because in his framework, it has to be Jesus. He's in there somewhere. And, and so we do that. We have a framework that we... We come to scripture with, and we look for it. We try to see, does scripture validate it? Surely it does. And we land on what's going to validate it. And we ignore everything else around it. But there are some ways that we can help ourselves to recognize our framework. One of the ways is, is just to know, what are some things that we, that we do? What are some things, how, are we, how do we think sometimes? What, what are some frameworks that we can identify 
that possibly are ones that, oh, I do that. I, I think that way. And, and so let's, let's, let's dialogue for a minute. Tell me some frameworks that, that you can come to the scripture with that can drive it, that, that maybe will, will influence it. So what, yell out some, Christy. Authoritative, so you, your framework is saying that you, you know, scripture has an authority over me, okay? Okay, so you're, you're coming to it with um, having the, the authority of scripture. I am like, terrible at spelling today. Um, but now you know more things about me. Okay, so. <laughs> okay. All right, okay. So not an authority. So there's, there's, there's th some frameworks are healthy. Some, not so much. Not at all, some. So what, what other things? Okay, so morality, morality, okay. We'll, we'll talk about, you know, morality. I'm a good person. I'm a good Christian. Um, you, and so we say that morals are what I want to look at to validate that I'm a good person or, or that you're a good person. Karen. Okay, okay. So the, the cultural uh, influence, so God cares about the individual, or well, this is just how we've always done it. My family always has, you know, Christmas celebrated this way. And, and it may not necessarily be wrong, but, but because it's so important to us, so valuable to us, we try to validate why this is the only way to do it. And so what other, what other influences? Okay, tradition, right? What, what about um, training? What kind of tr occupational th trainings that are out there that can be an influence uh, that you can bring? How about medical? Okay. Is there, do you see a lot of illnesses in Scripture? Do you see a lot of um, healing take place? And so you can have a lot of training medically that you take that framework into Scripture and it can be applied to the text to make it say what it may, it may not say. Or, or maybe it helps you to see what it says. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So your experiences. So, you know, whether you've been married Maybe that's been a wonderful um, situation, or maybe it's been difficult. And so you bring that to the text, and, and perhaps it doesn't help you in terms of, you know, you see scripture that says, like, leave and cleave. And, and you're like, well, you don't understand. I, I have to do these things with my mom. My mom is helping me. Meanwhile, husband over here is saying, well, I really think our family should do this. And we look at that verse, and we say, well, that's not what it meant. Because this relationship is so important that that's not what this says. And we discard that line of scripture. We minimize it. So frameworks can really drive how we see a text. If we put so much emphasis and value on them, if we don't recognize that we bring that to the, um, to the text, when? Yeah, doctrinal, theological uh, understandings of truth, you know. So if you believe some things about Scripture and they're not true, you're going to try looking for it to validate it. And, and you're not open to what Scripture is trying to say to correct what is false in you. And, and so that, that's a huge one. Political, you know. If you have a certain political viewpoint, you, you're going to look for Scripture to validate why you vote a certain way rather than looking for scripture to impart to you the best way to vote. And it may, and it may be sometimes you go this way and sometimes you go that way, but, but it's what's driving you. And so we want to know that what our frameworks is because we all have frameworks. So let's, let's talk for a second in thinking back on Mark. Okay, Mark 14, just the 3 through 9. 
And if I brought a framework to that text that has to do with, I work with poor people. I don't like to see people out on the street. You know, we need to do away with homelessness. And every time I talk with you, that's our, our conversation gets right back there. You know, and that, you know, people who are rich, should, they, they should give their money so that there is no more poor people in this country. So that's, there's a framework. Now, I have this framework, and I go to Mark 14, and I read verses 3 through 9. What am I going to land on in that verse? I'm going to agree with the disciples. Yeah. I'm going to agree with the disciples. What, is, what does that do about my view of Jesus? I minimize Jesus. I don't validate him. And quite, I quite frankly, I think he, he really didn't understand what was really important. He, yeah. And, and so we begin to land on something that's going to further my agenda. Because quite frankly, this is what everybody should be concerned about. And, and I lay that on people. I bring scripture to validate it. And if we're not good students of the scripture... If we don't know what was said before, and we don't know what was said before, and we don't really remember what was said in the beginning, we're, we're going to go, well, I, I kind of remember reading that, that passage. And I, I, I do remember the disciples saying that. And if the disciples said that, wow, maybe I don't know Jesus as well as I thought I did. And I walk away in error because I, I choose to listen to somebody expound on a piece of Scripture who has interpreted it through their framework. And if, I don't, if I'm not like the Bereans and I go back to the word and study it and look at it to, to see if this person's observation, this person's conclusion was valid, I'm going to walk away in error. And, and so we want to be careful that we don't let frameworks, those frames, those values, those things we find important, drive what the text says. And so there's, there's some ways that we can help ourselves in that. And you have um, on your outline Philippians 4.13. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea of how this works and how it shouldn't work. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, where, where do you see that plastered on the wall, Danielle? There's a gym by your house. Okay. So, so, so the person that put that up in the gym, what was his framework? Strength. Strength in what? Yeah. So pumping iron, better athlete. Karen. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. God is He's in my back pocket. He's going to help me do whatever I put my little heart to. And, and I can take that and I can run with it. And, and a lot of people do. However, was there a framework that was applied to that little text? We can all say yes. And so we want to we ask two questions. Whenever we have a text coming to us that a possible framework has been applied to it. Or even when we go to a text, knowing we have some frameworks, I want to be able to put those aside, but I have to recognize them. So one of the questions is, why is this text here in the first place? Why is it here? And to answer that, you have to know more about the book of Philippians. You would have to know who wrote it. You'd have to know that it's a letter. You would have to know what, what is its main theme. What is that melodic line? You would have to, to ask the question, why did, why did Paul not start the book of Philippians with verse 13? I mean, wouldn't that have set the stage of that book? But he didn't. He put it in chapter 4, down on verse 13. So I have to ask that question, well, why there and not somewhere else? And the second question helps us to answer that by saying, what does the context say in relation to this verse? So again, we go back to our traveling instruction. We go back to what do those verses say around the text that I want to use to further my agenda. But 
but maybe I don't want to further my agenda. Maybe I really want to know what is true. And, and so I, I want to know, why would this person have this on their gym wall? Is that an accurate use of that word? Or, or is there something more to it? And so I ask these questions to help further my understanding of it. And so I look at the verses that surround 13. I would go to the ones right before it, and I would read the ones right after it. And I would say, what is similar in those surrounding verses that helps me understand why he would say that? And I would jot those kind of things down. And if we had time, we would go to Philippians 4, and we would expand even further to verse 10 all the way to 20. And I would read that looking to see how the surrounding verses help me to understand why Paul would make that statement. And I would then have some tools in front of me. I would have to think, okay, this is a letter, so and Paul's writing it. There, there's some background things that we want to consider in order for us to land on the right meaning. We can't just go to a text and, and just try to figure everything out just by, by, by not knowing anything about the whole book. And, and so we know just from Ryan teaching it that, that Paul wrote it, that he was in jail when he wrote it. Uh, we can see that there's the word joy and rejoice is throughout that book. And even if you just read it once, you would begin to pick up on, on that aspect. And, and what we would come to find out that Paul really wants to see the gospel advance forward. And he sees that the Philippians are partnering with him in his goal. And we would notice in those surrounding verses that he's talking about having his needs supplied. And that he is, his heart is being supplied, that he's content, whether it's in plenty or whether it's in need. He's seeing that God is going to give to him what he needs to further the gospel, that he, to further it in joy, and to see it advance, even in circumstances that are difficult, even in circumstances that are somewhat easier. And he's recognizing that the Philippians had a part in that. They gave to him monetarily to meet needs. They even gave to him when he was in Thessalonica, and he wasn't in jail, and he gave to them. Because he didn't want to be a burden to the Thessalonians that, that, that he, he could work and he could get from these Philippians and he could serve these other people. So we begin to see that when this verse is stated, that there's a lot more to it than it just being a verse that we can put in our pocket and say that God's going to do everything for us. And, and so we look at this verse for a particular meaning, the meaning that is revealed in the context so that we can understand why Paul would say that. So the strength that Paul is talking about is strength to be content when in need, when in plenty, as he serves and makes known the gospel. So we, when we go to a text, we want to put aside our frameworks. And then we seek to read the text. And we read the passage very carefully. We read the context. We look for the historical aspects. How are these people hearing this the first time? What is going on? We, we look at how is he writing this, and, and we use our tools. We use our principles to help us gain an understanding of that main point of the text. And we're going to do that in Titus in a couple of weeks. You're going to start, you're going to look at, your first text is going to be Titus 1 through 4. And you're going to want to know, what is, what is the point of, this, of these four verses? And, and so you're going to use these tools to gain an understanding so at the, at the end of it, you'll walk away with, it, with a, a relevancy, an application, something that can further your, your growth in Christ, that will encourage your heart, that will help you honor God. And so we must let the Bible shape our framework. So what we want is we want the text to drive our frameworks. We want the text to be the thing that tells me what is right and what is true. In, in Psalm 119.29, it says, Remove the false ways from me and graciously grant your law. When I read that verse, you know what it tells me? If the psalmist is saying, remove false ways from me, I, I can identify with that, that. There are things that I, I believe that aren't accurate. 
that I think might be accurate, but I, and I even operate like that's, you know, correct. But the psalmist is saying that God's word, he can expose error. God's word can help us to see when we're thinking correctly and when we're not thinking correctly. It can bring truth to bear on us to change how we see things, change how we perceive things, how we think, what we love. And, and so we, we go to the text and we say, I want this to be king. I want it to be sovereign. I want it to tell me what is true, what is what. I want to know what the main point is. And I want it to help me get a healthy framework. I want it to give me good framework so that the ones that, like having the framework of the poor, that's not necessarily a bad thing to desire, but when it raises to the level of importance and value that it wants to be king, it's, it's going to tell me what this text says, not what the text says. And so I want that to give me a more balanced thinking about what I value. And so we want God to correct our wrong thinking. We, we want to go to the text asking God to expose error and to replace it with truth. So there are some questions. There are some things that we can do to avoid being driven by our perceived needs of ourselves or even of others. And those three questions are on your outline. We need to be aware of our frameworks that we could be bringing to the text and that frameworks are subject to, to change depending on the text, what is going on in our life. We want the text to be king. So we want to work fervently in that text, looking diligently at the context, what comes before and after. And we keep moving out, enlarging that circle to discover more and more. And we want to take advantage in dialoguing with other women. Because when we talk about a text and we're both studying it, what we have there is two people trying to find truth or three people. So like in your Bible study, you'll find that, oh, man, I, I, I totally had a framework labeled, landed on this one, you know? So, so like in Titus 2, when it talks about women should be workers at home, you know, I could have a framework of that's a bunch of hogwash. And so that, you know, that, that I'm going to have to discount that because that, that just doesn't apply to me. Or it could be the opposite, Right. We, we can so much know that that's what God wanted me to do, that if you're not at home, you're in sin. And, and we can bring frameworks to validate our agenda, and, and we're not looking at it objectively of, why did he really say that? How much, how much emphasis needs to be put on it? And, and so we have to come to the text, looking for the text to say what it needs to say. So we are out of time, and you don't have a lot of time to go through your homework. So if you can move quickly to your um, discussion groups, that would be helpful. 119.29, Psalm 119.29. So I'm going to pray real quick, and you guys can skedaddle. Father, thank you for this morning. Help us now to go and unpack your word, bring us to truth, and help us to continue to dig deeper into your word. Help us to recognize our frameworks, Lord, and help us to put them aside that your word would be, the, would be king in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.